Let's go ahead and open in prayer and then we'll be in Philippians 1. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you in music and in, in worship you in the word. We ask that your spirit will lead and guide in what we will hear today. In your son's precious name, amen. amen. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 8. For God is my record how greatly I long after you and in all the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment that you may approve things with that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So we want to look at this. Uh, Paul has said before this that he was confident that he who had begun a good work will complete it in the last chapter, in the last verse we read last week. And he goes on to say, um, for God is my record how greatly I long after you in all the bowels of Jesus Christ. Paul is expressing, we've told you, this is a, a, a letter to a church that he greatly loves. And he's showing the pastor's heart toward them, that he longs, he prays for them. We see this in many different individuals. Paul has done it many times. Moses, if you read through the, the first five books of uh, of the Bible goes has the same relationship with his people he really loves them even though they drive him nuts <laughs> uh, and we've talked about this on our Wednesday night study how Moses and God seem to be having a little game that goes along God calls them well they're your when when they misbehave he calls them Moses they're your people and Moses goes oh no they're your people and then other times God uh, you know Moses says God they're all yours <laughs> I don't want anything to do with them uh, but you know that's the way leaders can be sometimes with their people. They love them greatly, and sometimes you can get frustrated. <laughs> and Moses shows that and Paul, Paul is loving these people, and he loves them after the love of Christ is what he's telling them, after the bowels of mercy. But then he goes in and says, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment. He really is praying for their love. Jesus said, you will know they are my disciples by their love, one for another. We are to express love as Christians to each other primarily, but to the world also. And this love is agape love, which is normally defined as unconditional love. I prefer the term objective love, which means you choose to love that way. And our love for one another is that we choose to love. And why has it got to be choice? Because if it's based on emotions, it comes and goes. You know, one day I feel like I love you, the next day I don't feel like I love you, and the next day I may feel like I love you, or I may go, and then I don't feel like I love you for a couple months, and then maybe I'll decide I love you. That can't be the love that we have for one another, and that's not the kind of love that God has for us. He chooses to love us. And we don't want it any other way. Because as long as he chooses to love us, he's going to love us. And the good news is, God doesn't change. So he will never choose to unlove us. Even when people choose to go to hell and, he sta and they stand before him in the white throne judgment, God is going to still love them as he gives them what they chose. Hell for eternity. He's still going to love them and it's going to break his heart to give them what they chose. For us, we need to choose to love one another. And that doesn't mean we're going to like everything that everybody does around us. It's not going to mean that we even want to be with them necessarily. <laughs> Okay, you can love somebody and not want to hang out with them at a particular, at any one time. Because we're just saying, I'm going to love you. 
They're not necessarily going to be your best buddy, the person you're going to hang out with all the time. But we're to love one another and not tear each other down. We're to build up one another. And then he says this is that he wants it to be more and more. And this more and more literally means overflowing. (laughs) Our love is to be overflowing. And we all know people that are hard to love. You probably can think of a couple people in your life that are hard to love, maybe even family members that are hard to love. And God says, love them. Love them. Be kind to them. Don't give them what they deserve. God's grace. I've told people before, you need to give this person grace, and the very first thing they'll say is, well, they don't deserve it. And I'm going, of course they don't deserve it. If they deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. (laughs) Okay. If it, if, it was dirt, if it was something they deserved, it would be earned. <laughs> it's easy to be loving and kind to people who are loving and kind to you. That's an easy thing to do. Anybody can do that. The world can do that. But to love people who don't deserve it, to be kind to those who don't deserve it, is a gift of God. Because that was God's love for us. Our, our verse that we're working on, God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Do you realize that? If you're saved today, you're, you're an adopted child of God, but you were an enemy of God before you got saved and had no desire for God before that, until that day that you got that desire put in your heart that says, I want to turn to him, I want to accept him. How many times did people hear the gospel and reject it? In your own life, how many times did you hear the gospel and reject it before you finally responded? For many, it's been many, many, many times. Some people had tender hearts and got saved pretty quick. But there were still times when you heard the gospel and didn't respond. Or the, as I've said before, the famous line, and I heard the gospel for the first time. <laughs> and I'm really sure that it is the first time that actually connected with their brain to hear what they had been told. But our love is to abound. Overflow. And then he goes, in knowledge and in judgment. This word for knowledge, if you want to know the Greek word, it's epinosis, which means overknow. <laughs> Okay, we're to love people with complete knowledge, over knowledge. One of the things I hope for our churches as we learn God's word is that we learn to know it completely, over know it so completely that it overshadows everything that we think, everything that we do. And, and then it says in, in judgment, which is discernment. A discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We need to discern right from wrong. How many times have you been in the middle of getting ready to do something and all of a sudden you have that check in your spirit that says, don't do this. That's God's discernment. That's the spirit saying, it's wrong. Don't do it. Or you're talking to somebody who wants to do something. You go, there's just something wrong. Just something wrong. I can't quite put my finger on it, but something is wrong. That's discernment. The spirit telling you, don't. Don't do this. You're listening to some preacher on TV or, or the radio, hopefully not with me, but possibly with me. And all of a sudden there's something in there that says, this is wrong. 
What they're teaching is wrong. And I've shared with you, that happened to me one time. The radio was on in the background, and all of a sudden, I'm hearing it in the background. I'm going, oh, something, what, what did he just say? And I started paying attention and realized that the guy was not teaching correct doctrine. You know, he just had the Christian radio station on in the background, and all of a sudden, the Spirit said, pay attention to what's being fill, filling your brain. Discernment. How about those times when you're watching television or a movie or reading a book or something, and all of a sudden it says, this is not right. This is not right. You know, change the channel, turn the TV off, do whatever. This is not the right thing to be pay, paying attention to. All of that discernment that comes into, and that is recon, recognizing things, and it's spiritual. It's spiritual for us to be able to sit back and say, this is not right. I should not be watching this. I should not be reading this. I should not be hanging out with this person because of what they're saying. I shouldn't be talking this way about this person or listening to this, somebody else talking about that person. You know, listening to somebody talking in, inappropriately about somebody is something you don't want to do. Because even if you think, well, I can listen and it's not going to affect me, it puts a seed of doubt about that person in your brain. And then the next person you hear something negative about that person goes, oh, it connects with the, per the, the message you had before. And then the next person, and all of a sudden, you now have negative feelings about somebody that probably didn't deserve them <laughs> because you listen to negative opinions about somebody. We are not somebody that can just listen and have to get away with it. We need to be very careful how we listen, what we do, what we say. Because we're going to be held accountable. The scriptures tell us we're going to be accountable for every idle word we spoke. Now, I don't know about some of you, but I don't speak a whole lot of words. But I, have, I do think when I hear that, I think about how many times have I spoke things really without thinking that shouldn't have been spoken. Now, if you like to talk, you really might be in trouble. <laughs> uh, because you might have lots of idle words that you have to be accountable for and, and ask God's forgiveness for. But you know, words can do so much damage. I have met so many people that have had something said to them as a child that has affected their life for the rest of their life. And they're still, they may be 40, 50, 60 years old, and they're still affected by what they were told by a parent or a friend or, or somebody in their childhood. Words have long-lasting effect on people's hearts, which is why it's so important for us to build up and edify because the positive words have just as much effect over the long run. People need to hear a positive once in a while. Some people more than others. Some people don't need very many, but other people need them all the time. Our job as Christians is to build those people up. Then it goes in verse 10, and that you may approve things that are excellent. How many things do we approve that aren't excellent in our life? Approve here is the word dokiamos, which is, it was a name for people that were money changers, that made sure that the money that came through hadn't been shaved off because they were pure gold back in those days and it was easy to shave off the gold and they would shave off a little bit of gold off of each coin and then they'd melt their own coins down. <laughs> These guys were ones who would be true merchants and they would go, nope, this coin is... Not good, you know, not full weight. This one's full weight. Do we do this with what we do? 
when we are doing things, are we making sure that they are approved and excellent? This is something we have to be careful of in our language and what we do. Probably for our day, the hardest example would be what, what, what do we watch on television and what we watch on movies. You know, and I've heard people go, well, it's not that bad a show. It only has a few uh, bad scenes. It just kind of pushes the edge. The question is, are we approving it by watching it? Is it excellent? Is it something that is worthy of God? Is it going to build me up and edify me? And I can tell you there's very few shows on TV that fit that category. At least that I've seen. But he says, are we proved that we will approve for excellence? Our language, what do we speak? What do we listen to? Is it approved and worthy of God's excellence? We have to look those up our own, our own, our own self. And I'll tell you one thing, as you grow in Christ and you get more of him in you, you're going to find more and more things that you can't do, more and more things you can't watch, more and more things you can't read. Because the Holy Spirit will start putting a check in you and say, nope, we let you get away with that when you were a child, but now that you're an adult in Christ, nope, you can't do that anymore. Which means all of us will have different things we can and can't do. <laughs> because we'll be at different levels. But the child, the newborn Christian, is not going to have the same expectation on them as somebody who's been walking with God for a long time and learning from him. And I've shared with you many times, there's things I watch on TV that I used to watch back in the 70s, 80s, 90s that I look at now and say, how did I ever watch this show? Well, because I wasn't as mature back then. I wasn't being as sensitive to what I was watching. But as we grow in Christ, the excellency, what do we approve of? What do we approve of in, as we're watching it? What is excellent? That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Sincere, pure. We are to approve excellent things so that we will be pure, without spot. And again, the same thing that happens. What we read, what we watch affects how we think. This is why I'm, I'm such a big fan of getting in the Bible, reading the Bible every day. Study the Word. Meditate upon the Word. Memorize it so that you have verses that will stick in your head. No, nothing, nothing affects you more than when you're getting ready to do something and all of a sudden a Bible verse pops in your head and says, no, you can't do that. Okay. Uh, and you go, wow, okay. Peter tells us to be ready to give a, a reason for what we believe. Give a reason for what we believe. Over the years, I've met so many Christians that say, well, I just believe it because it's in the Bible, and that's a good reason to believe it. But you know, when you understand why you believe it, it's a lot stronger. And I've met people who really tell me, well, I just have to believe it because it's in the Bible. Okay, so what do you do when somebody tells you, well, I just say I believe it because it's in the Bible. You know, the sad thing is we taught our teenagers the same way over the last 30 years and more than one has fallen away from the, the faith because they didn't have an answer for what it, the world was telling them was wrong. And it's kind of interesting because I'll find these people and I go, well, nobody's ever answered these things. I never knew there were solid evidence. I go, yes, there's evidence for every bit of the word of God. Lots of evidence. We don't have to just take it on faith because there's reasons for it. Yes, we get saved by faith. 
None of us get saved because we are convinced that everything in the Bible is real. <laughs> we don't know enough about it at that point in time. But you know, if you're still at that infant stage 30 years later, that you don't know what you believe and why, there's a problem. I use the example, if any of us had a 30-year-old child who was still crawling around on his belly on the floor demanding a bottle, we would have some problems with that. And yet there are many Christians that that's how they live. Crawling around on their bellies demanding a bottle. Give me, give me, and they don't even want, a, they don't even want milk usually, they want watered down milk. They're not even ready to take milk. That's one thing if they're an infant and just starting out, but if they've been walking with God for a long time, there's a problem. We need to mature. We need to grow. We need to be able to walk in our spiritual life and go forward, not just stay at, a, at the infant. And that they will be without offense until the day of Christ. The day of Christ is when he comes back to rule as king. The day we're looking forward to. When we die, we go and stand before God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We will stand before him and receive our reward for what we've done right or allowed him to do right as he burns up all the works that aren't done in him. And he gives us our reward. Our reward for eternity. Very soon, or at least sometime soon, will be the rapture when the church is taken out. And then seven years later, he'll come back to reign for a thousand years. Then one last hurrah for Satan to try to take people away, and then he'll start a new heaven and new earth. Looking forward to that day. <laughs> new heaven, new earth. Pure, righteous. Living in the place we were created to be. In purity. And that is what he's saying, that you will be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Unfortunately, we know that we're not going to be totally sincere and without offense in our lifetime. But we've talked about this. God sees us as perfect. Why? Because as soon as we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God in heaven declares perfect. <laughs> From the courts of heaven, he declares perfect that you're perfect when you put your trust in him. That should be a motivating factor for us to want to live right. We're going to spend our life being sanctified, and that means to be made perfect. But God in the courts of heaven says that we're perfect. You know, and to help you understand that, it's kind of the same idea that when somebody goes to court to file bankruptcy, they owe a lot of debts, and all of a sudden the, the bankruptcy court, uh, judge says, okay, they're all wiped out. Your creditors cannot come after you for those debts. But God goes even further. He doesn't just say the debt's wiped out. He puts the righteousness of Christ on us. And he says, not only are you without guilt on this, I am taking away all of it and making you perfect. I am putting the righteousness of Christ on you. When he looks at us and we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And we don't want him to see us anyway because Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness is filthy rags. The best things that we can do in our sin of nature are rags in front of God. 
How many times have you witnessed to somebody and said, well, I just hope I'm good enough to, to please God? What they have just said is, I want to go stand before God in a bunch of filthy rags and say, let me into heaven. Hopefully we don't start feeling that way. Many Christians get that way. I'm going to do a lot of good things. I'm going to really, I'm going to really make God like me. Well, your goodness is not going to make God like you. He's going to see nothing but rags. We need to be putting on the righteousness of Christ. Then he looks at us and says, there's my wonderful children. They're perfect. God is just like all the other parent. Uh, I, I worked a lot of years with, with kids, and almost every parent, when you'd say, you know, your kid was misbehaving in Sunday school or something, go, not my kid. <laughs> now, I know these parents knew better. But they always wanted to say their kids were perfect. In God's case, he declares us perfect and he sees us as perfect because he knows we're going to be perfect. We're going to spend our lifetime being made more and more perfect. But you know the good news? The day we die or the day we're raptured, God's going to say, you are now perfect. He's going to complete the work that he started. Just as Paul said in in the verse we looked at last, last week. He that begun a good work in you will complete it. He is going to complete the work that he began. When did he begin the work? It was when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and say, God, I'm a sinner. I, didn't, I, I know I deserve punishment. Come into my life. I accept your gift. He comes in. He starts a work. He starts a work. And it's going to be completed. And God says it's already completed. He says, he says we're perfect. And here Paul has encouraged them, be without offense, be sincere. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and praise of God. Fruits of righteousness. Building up, edifying, loving one another, being kind. All the different things that we can do that are positive things. But you do notice this little preposition in there that you may have never noticed by Jesus Christ. Okay? We cannot produce fruits of righteousness on our own that are going to stand. They have to be by Jesus Christ. And I bring this out a lot of times. I pick out these little tiny words that we kind of ignore when we're reading some of the scriptures. But these prepositions are very important. The fruits of righteousness are by Jesus. He dwells in us. He crucifies our flesh, according to Galatians 2.20. And we live in his power, in his authority, in his strength. Without it, we can do nothing. With him, we can do everything. And we can be able to be bold for him. We can share the gospel. We can lift up people. We can love those that are hard to love. We can be forgiving to those that don't deserve to be forgiven because we've received grace. We should give grace. We receive love, we should love. This is why in 1 John it says uh, that God first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. How do we bring others to Christ? We love them. We show them God's love. We show him, people, their forgiveness of God. We show them edification from, that God gives us. Why? Because God does it to us. One of the wonderful things I'm finding in the scripture, the more and more that I read it, God keeps repeating himself because he knows that we're very hard-headed and, very, and it takes us a long time to learn stuff. 
Sometimes I think even though I'm in different books, I'm teaching the same book over and over again. Because God keeps repeating himself because he knows how dense we are. He knows that we don't respond very quickly. And I know that I very much fit that category. It takes me a long time to learn things usually. And God knows that, and that's why he's wanting to be redundant so much. But we are, our righteousness, the fruits of righteousness, come from him, not from ourselves. And we need to always keep that in mind. When we see somebody who's good, and I mean really good, then it's only because of Jesus Christ being in them that allows them to be good. When you find somebody who's really being loving to you, then God is showing you that his love through them. So we want to just keep these things in mind. And why does all this happen? It's unto the glory and praise of God. Everything that we do should point to God. It's his glory, his praise. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto him, unto me, he said. But if he's lifted up, he'll draw the people to him. Why? Because it's his love, his redemption, his grace, his mercy that will draw people to him. All we can do is lift him up. If we're doing things so that we get praise, we've got the wrong motivation. And unfortunately, there's lots of Christian leaders even that are trying to do things that are drawing praise to themselves. You know, look what I'm doing. Yeah, well, if you're doing it, it's not worth anything long term. We need to build God's kingdom. And I've shared with you many times, my goal is not to build Chloride Baptist Church. My, my goal is to build Jesus' kingdom. If I help build his kingdom, he'll build this church. <laughs> Real simple. We build his kingdom and he'll build, he builds this, this church here. But it's all about what will he do? What does he want done? And our job is to just do what he wants done. And that is all that he's asking us to do is to surrender ourselves completely to him. We talk about him being Lord and Savior. Now, Lord. That means he gets to tell us what to do. And when we really start accepting that, we realize we may not like everything he tells us to do. <laughs> but you know what? If you serve a master, it doesn't matter whether you like what they're telling you to do or not. You do it. The disciples' favorite term in the scriptures was the, it's translated in the King James as slave, but it really is a bond servant. One who voluntarily serves another person as a slave. And once you made that, it was a one-time commitment. You were, you were the slave forever, but you chose to be that person's slave. For Christians, we have chosen to be the servant of Jesus if we're going to follow him correctly. So we want to keep that in mind. We want to follow him. We want to be his servant. When he says do something, we do it. When he tells us to go into all the world preaching the gospel and making disciples, we're supposed to do that. But we need to also start in our local area. And just out of a thought for everybody as I end this, how many people have you shared the gospel with this last week? How many have you shared with within the last month? And if you need to, how many people have you shared them with in the last year? If your answer is zero, you need to talk with God about being serious about obeying him as Lord. 
doesn't have to be very fancy. It doesn't have to be hard. Get some tracts. Just pass out tracts. It's a great way to give the gospel out if you're afraid to talk to people. Now, you can use our pens that we have. Give out the pens, you know, because that'll bring them to our website. Yeah. But we need to open our mouths and share the gospel with people. We need to share that they need Jesus Christ. Because we need to come to a conclusion of the enormity of hell. Hell is eternal punishment. We should not desire anybody to go to hell. Because if we really understood how awful it was, we wouldn't want anybody there. God doesn't want anybody there. Hell was created for the demons and Satan, not for people. And pe people will only get it because that's what they choose to reject Christ. But we need to be out there sharing that gospel with others. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that will complete the work, Lord, that you, you are the one that brings us to all things. Lord, if there's anybody in this room or on the Internet that has not heard the message and responded, we ask them right now to admit that they're a sinner, that they deserve punishment, and ask you to come into their heart because you paid their price, and then save them, and then get them in touch with a Christian to help them get started in their walk with Christ. And Lord, we just challenge anybody in also listening that they will make you Lord and Master of their life. If they know you, will make you Lord and Master and do the things that you have told them to do. In Jesus' name, amen.